you to take a Bible this morning and let's open it together. 1 Samuel chapter 22 in your copy of the Bible. We're continuing in our study of the life of the great man of God, David. And if you didn't bring a Bible today, we've got a copy of the Bible we'd like you to borrow right there on the back of the seat in front of you. We're going to be on page 207 of our copy of the Bible, page 207, or 1 Samuel 22 in your copy. Now, Monday, November 17th, 1997, was a pretty grim day in Luxor, Egypt. At 8.15 a.m., six armed Islamic militants broke into the temple of Hapshitsut. That was a woman, the only woman pharaoh of Egypt, a very popular tourist attraction, and proceeded to open fire on more than a hundred tourists that had arrived a few minutes earlier to begin visiting the landmark. Uh, one lady who survived said they made us get down on our knees and then they started shooting. And then after they had wounded some people, they finished the people off who were wounded by going around savagely and slitting their throat. By the time they had fled and the tourist police of Egypt had caught up to them and killed them, 85, uh, sorry, uh, 58 people were dead. Many of these were Japanese tourists, and in the tour group from Japan, there were four honeymooning couples, one older couple celebrating a second honeymoon, so that in Japan, the press actually dubbed this the Honeymoon Massacre. And when I was reading about it in the paper this past week, I remember stopping for a moment and saying to myself, you know, massacre, I think, is the right word here. That's pretty much a description of what this was. Now, today in the Bible, we want to look at another massacre, one that was carried out by a man named Doeg. It's one of the worst massacres ever recorded in the Bible. And, and, but I don't want to focus on the massacre. I want to focus on the man who did it, a guy named Doeg. I want to focus on his character and his worldview and his value system because, you see, in our world today, there are Doegs just like this guy, people whose value system is such that they will do anything in order to get ahead. And what we as Christians need to know is how do we deal with these people in our world, in the marketplace, in our school, uh, in our family, in our neighborhood, if we're business competitors with them, how do we deal with these people as Christians? So that's the question we want to answer. And let's begin by looking at what Doeg did, and then, of course, we'll bring it around and talk about... So what? That's right. Well, I've popped it on you. I didn't expect you to be ready, but we'll, we'll give you another chance. Now, remember the background here. First Samuel 21, we find out David is a fugitive. He's running for his life. Saul's out to kill him, and he goes to this little town called Nob, N-O-B, and there, the, the tabernacle is there. The high priest is there. Eighty-five other priests are there. And, and, uh, and he stops there and he snookers the high priest. He says to the high priest that he's on a secret mission for Saul. And he talks the high priest into praying for him and giving him some food and giving him the sword of Goliath. I mean, he lied to the high priest. That's why the high priest helped him. The high priest had no idea whatsoever that he was on some kind of, uh, uh, that he was an outlaw, that he was running from the king. Well, so far, so good, except verse 7 of that chapter tells us that one of the people standing there watching was a fellow named Doeg, who was Saul's chief shepherd. Now, what do we know about this guy, Doeg? Well, the Bible tells us that he, was, he worked for Saul. He was a low-level employee of Saul. He was a goat boy for Saul. 
But he wasn't planning to stay a goat boy the rest of his life. No, Doeg was planning to move up to the east side. He was just waiting for an opportunity to do it. And as we're going to see in a moment, ethics and scruples and decency and the fear of God were not issues for this guy. This guy was willing to do whatever it took, and he didn't care what it took. He would do whatever it took in order to advance himself. Now let's pick up chapter 22, verse 5. David's hiding in Moab on the other side of the Jordan River. And the prophet Gad comes to him and says, Do not stay over here in Moab. Go back into the land of Judah. Verse 6. So David went and Saul discovered that David and his men were back in town. And so he got all his officials together. Now remember, Saul's from the tribe of Benjamin. And he gets all these officials together, all of whom are from the tribe of Benjamin. Sounds just like Washington today, right? And he says to them, hey guys, and he gives them this speech. Let me summarize it. He says, you're all from my home tribe of Benjamin. You know that. And I gave you plush jobs. And I let you go on junkets. And I approved your pork in the budget. And I looked the other way when you went, you got your personal perks. And I didn't close a single base in your home districts. Right, guys? And, and you think David's going to do that for you? You think David's going to be nice to you like that? Well, you better forget it. You better get another idea. And, and so, uh, you, you, well, how do you thank me for all I've done for you? You conspire against me. You don't even tell me he's back in town. You don't even tell me my son's made a pact with him. You don't love me. You only love what I can do for me. You're all against me. Everybody's against me. Everybody's with David. You say, man, he's, it sounds, he's gone flaky. Well, that's pretty much right. Saul has descended, begun descending down the slippery slope of paranoia and, and to becoming a delusional madman. And we're going to see this as we move through these chapters. That's what happens to him. Well, everybody is standing there listening to the speech. Nobody knows what to say. I mean, everybody's just kind of like, <gasps> listening to this flaky speech that he gives. That is, except for Doeg. Doeg, being the cheap opportunist that he was, saw his chance to move from being goat boy to being one of Saul's most trusted confidants. And here it was right in front of him, and he grabs it. Watch, verse 9. And Doeg says to Saul, wait a minute, Saul, I'm on your side. These other ingrates standing around here, maybe they won't tell you the truth and they won't sell people out for you, but I'll sell people out for you. And let me just tell you what happened. I was at Nob. Look what he says. I was there at Nob when David showed up. And Ahimelech, verse 10, the high priest, he inquired of the Lord for David and he gave David food and he gave David the sword of Goliath. You want me to rat on somebody? I'll rat on somebody for you. I'll rat on the high priest. He helped your enemy out. I was there. I saw it. Now, by the way, he didn't tell Saul the whole truth, did he? See, he was there and also realized that David lied to the high priest. He didn't tell Saul that David lied to the high priest, and the high priest didn't realize David was on the run. You say, why didn't he tell him? Because that makes him, Doeg, look better. Makes the high priest look like a traitor and makes him look like a loyalist. This guy sold the high priest out. Saul was furious. He, he immediately summoned Ahimelech, the high priest, verse 13, and Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and David? You gave him bread. You gave him a sword. You inquired for, for, of God for him. And now he's rebelled against me and he's lying in wait for me to try to kill me. Well, that's not true. But paranoia reigns right now. 
And Ahimelech, to defend himself, gives a very impassioned response. He says, hey, Saul, he said, you got the wrong man. You're accusing the wrong person, man. I didn't do this. David told me he was on a secret mission for you. He's your son-in-law. He's a general in the army. In helping him, I thought I was helping you. I was trying to be loyal to you by helping him. I mean, you got the wrong man. I'm not a traitor. Saul wouldn't hear it. Verse 16, the king said, you will surely die, Ahimelech, you and your father's whole family. And then the king ordered the guards, the soldiers at his side, and said, turn now and kill the priests of the Lord. Because they have sided with David. They knew David was fleeing and they didn't tell me. But the king's officials were not willing to raise a hand to strike the priests of the Lord. I mean, these are soldiers. They've killed Philistines. They've killed other soldiers. They've killed civilians. But man... When you ask them to kill the priests of the Lord and the high priest of Israel, these soldiers go, whoa, 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 man. That is, far, no, that is farther than we are prepared to go. We are not killing the priests of Israel, Saul. We don't care what you say. There's a little bit of the fear of God in us, and we're not killing these people. You want to kill these people, you kill them yourself. We're not doing this. You know, most people have that sense of decency about them. You know, it's why when I meet people as a preacher, they don't cuss around me. I mean, they say, well, you know, you represent God. I shouldn't cuss around you. Or when they do, they go, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. And I'm like, it's okay. No, no, no. I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I don't think they do that around most of their friends. Do you? I'm really sorry I said that. No, no, no. It's why. Did you see Sister Act? Remember when Whoopi was dressed up as a nun? And, and, and those thugs capture her. And the head, the, the head guy says to his two thugs, all right, shoot her. And they said... <laughs> We, we can't shoot a nun. And they, he said, well, she's not a nun. She just dressed as a nun. Shoot her. And, and they said, well, she looks like a nun. We can't shoot somebody that looks like a nun. Even these soldiers had that much decency. They said, we can't shoot. We can't kill the high priests. Well, Doeg didn't have that problem. Look what happened. Verse 18. So Saul turned to Doeg. And he said, all right, Doeg, you turn and you strike down the priest. Do you have the feeling he knew Doeg would do this? I do. And so Doeg did. He turned and he struck all 86 of them down, the high priest and the 85 others, right there on the spot. Killed them dead. And he didn't stop there. But the Bible says he then went with a, with a group of men to their hometown and he found their wives and killed all their wives. And he found their children, even infants, the Bible says, and he slaughtered them all. This is one of the worst massacres ever recorded in the Bible, and it's a massacre that an Israelite carried out against the high priests of Israel. All because there was only one reason he did it, because he wanted to move up in the world. And there was absolutely nothing he wouldn't do in order to do it. He was a profane person who would do anything it took to advance himself. No decency, no nothing. You know, uh, when I was growing up, I was a, uh, when in high school, I had a, uh, a friend in high school who was trying to share with me about Jesus Christ, that I needed to make a decision for Christ. And so she told me, she said, if you don't, you know, you don't get to go to heaven. So I went and asked my rabbi about that. And I said, Rabbi, you know, do, do Jews go to heaven or hell? I was 16 years old. And he said, uh, what? I said, no, the Jews go to heaven or hell. I need to know because I got this girl at school that's telling me that, you know, if I don't accept Jesus, I'm not going to go to heaven. He said, oh, 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 oh. He said, all Jews go to heaven. 
I said, really? That's a wonderful deal. How did that happen? He said, well, we're Abraham's descendants. And because we're Abraham's descendants, all Jews go to heaven. I said, marvelous. That's marvelous. He said, hell is a Gentile problem. <laughs> well, sounded good to me. I mean, I like that idea. So for years, I really believed that hell was y'all's problem, not mine. And you know, actually, when I was doing graduate work at, at Johns Hopkins University in Near Eastern Studies, and we were reading the, we were reading the Mishnah, the Mishnah is a collected, uh, uh, the Jewish rabbinic writings collected around 200 A.D. Do you know what? The rabbi actually, there's a passage in the Mishnah where the rabbis actually say that, that all of Abraham's descendants go to heaven except for four. There are only four Israelites in the history of the race that the rabbi said aren't going to heaven. Guess who's number one. You want to take a guess? Our buddy from this chapter, Mr. Doeg, is number one on the list. The rabbi said, hey, I don't care whether he's related to Abraham or he isn't. Doesn't make any difference. What he did is so despicable that he doesn't get to go to heaven. They even thought it was despicable. It's interesting, you know, it took me a number of years to figure out this rabbi told me wrong. In fact, I didn't go back to synagogue much after that. I figured, wow, if I'm going to heaven anyway, this place is incredibly boring. What am I doing getting up coming here for? So I didn't go back much. But it was years later when I read Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Here's what it says. It says, for all have sinned, not just Gentiles. For all Jews and Gentiles alike have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then the next verse says, and uh, goes on to say that redemption, forgiveness of sin, is offered freely to all Jews and Gentiles alike through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, folks, the fact that I was born and raised as a Jewish person didn't have one thing to do with my going to heaven. I had still sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I was still under God's judgment, and I still needed what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross in order to have my sins forgiven and go to heaven. And may I just say to you that if you're here today and you uh, have never trusted what Jesus did for you on the cross as your only payment for sin, may I say to you that, that uh, your human descendancy makes no difference about going to heaven. What religious background you may have been born into makes no difference about whether or not you go to heaven. What kind of good works you may do in order to impress God makes no difference. People don't go to heaven on that basis. Listen to what the Bible says, that redemption and forgiveness of sin is offered freely, that's good, to everybody, Jew and Gentile alike, but here's how it comes, listen, through faith in Jesus Christ. Christ and what he did for you and me on the cross. And if you're here and you've never trusted what he's done for you on the cross as your only payment for sin, please, please let me say to you, none of that other stuff will work. Doesn't matter who your father or your great-grandfather or your great-great-grandmother was. Doesn't matter what religion you were born into. The only thing that matters is whether you've trusted what Jesus did on the cross for you personally. And I hope you'll think about that. Well, that, that's the end of our passage, but it leaves us with the really important question. And what's that question? So what? So what? Right. You know, let's think about Doeg. In our, in our modern world, when I say words like piranha, people eater, a bottom feeder, unscrupulous opportunist, profane person that will do anything to advance themselves, I don't know what name you come up with in our modern world, but I'll tell you who I think of. Donald Trump. Anybody else think of him? 
I bought his book, The Art of the Comeback. I want you to hear what he says in his book. <clears throat> He's talking about the fight that he was in to build Trump City in Manhattan. And here's what he says, and I quote. He says, I believe in doing things big. This philosophy did not sit well with the residents of the Upper West Side. They did not like the idea of having me in their backyard. But creating a city within a city takes vision. I have vision. Yeah, humility he has too. And a small group of enemies towards my project was led by a community activist of virtually no vision. So I took her on. Often, he says, you know, you appreciate a good fight and you respect your opponent. But in this case, I really liked grinding this woman into the ground. The best way to deal with people like her is to beat them. And that's what I did. End of quote. Yay, Donald. He also gave his top ten comeback tips. And tip number nine was get even. Listen to what he said. He said, people need to know that if they try to take advantage of you, there's a price that they're going to have to pay. If someone tries to nail you, you nail them back harder than they've ever been nailed before. People may say that's not nice, but I believe in getting even. End of quote. The Donald. Now, everyone here may not know Donald Trump. And certainly none of us here knew Doeg. But you know, every one of us here knows somebody just like him. People who, whether they're co-workers or relatives or, or students at school or neighbors or business competitors, people who will do anything to advance themselves, they will step on anybody, they, they will betray anybody, they will damage anybody, they will destroy anybody they have to without a single regret to get where they want to get to. You know people like that, so do I. Now here's the question. How do you and I as people deal with folks like this? I've got four suggestions for you, they, and they have served me well. Four suggestions about how we deal with dough eggs or Donald Trumps. And I want to illustrate them all from the great story in the Bible of Mordecai and Haman in the book of Esther. So I wonder if you turn with me to the book of Esther, chapter 3. It's page 355, if you're using our copy of the Bible. Page 355, and here are the four principles. Number one, pick your fights carefully. Pick your fight carefully. And by that I mean, usually people like this are smart people. Doegs are smart people. And they have already positioned themselves to take on frontal assaults. They've already got the high ground. They're ready for you to come at them straight up. And if you do, they're prepared to beat you. And you know what, folks? Even if you do end up coming at them head on and you do end up with a modicum of victory against them, it's always messy and the fallout is always mammoth. I remember you know, my wife's family grew up on farms and I'll never forget her grandfather one time saying, you know, you can take on a skunk and probably win, but it ain't worth it. And that skunk you know in your office, you could probably take them on and win, but it ain't worth it. It's not worth smelling like that. Don't forget it. Your frontal assault is not the way you take these people on. Right here in, in the book of Esther chapter 3, well, chapter 3 verse 1 tells us that Haman became prime minister of Persia. 
and, and that everybody in town was, was supposed to bow down to him and worship him. But there was one guy named Mordecai, the Jew, who wouldn't do it because it violated the first commandment that you shall not bow down to anyone except God himself. And so chapter 3, verse 5 says, when Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down, would not pay him honor, he was enraged. And, and, and so he learned who Mordecai was and he learned who his people were and he decided, I'm just not going to kill Mordecai. I'm going to kill every Jew in the kingdom. I'm going to get them all. And he came up with this very intricate scheme that you can read about how he was going to pull that off. Now, could Mordecai take Haman on nose to nose? No way. Could he do a frontal assault on Haman? Haman is the prime minister of Persia. You can't do a frontal assault on a guy like that. So no. And friends, if you've got a doeg in your office, in your school, in your neighborhood, trust me, they have already positioned themselves in such a way that a frontal assault is not the smartest way to handle these people. Number two. Principle number two. When it comes to this doeg in your life, remember that God is still sovereign. Now, these people believe they're running the world. They're convinced that the world is under their control. But, you know, the Bible says God is still running the universe no matter how powerful, no matter how dominant that person may look or feel. It doesn't matter. God is still running the universe. And God says, I sit, Isaiah 40, enthroned above the circle of the earth, God says. And, and the people of the earth are like grasshoppers in my sight. I reduce the big shots of this world to nothing. I blow on them and they wither away. See, friends, God is saying He has His own special way of dealing with the dough eggs in this world. His own special way of bringing them low. His own special way of chopping them down to size. And I don't care how big their balloon is, God has the pin that will deflate their balloon. God is still sovereign. These people aren't running the world. Don't forget that. Hey, was God sovereign when it came to, es uh, to Mordecai and Haman? Yes, He was. Flip over to chapter 5, if you would, of the book of Esther. While you're flipping, let me remind you that back in chapter 2, we learned that Haman one day was sitting at the city gate and he overheard two of the king's servants conspiring to kill the king. And he went and turned them in. And the king found out that indeed they had, well, you know, conspired. And the king killed them. And he wrote Mordecai's name down. It was recorded in the annals of the kingdom that Mordecai had turned them in. Okay, remember that now. Pat chapter 5, verse 12. Haman comes to his wife and Haman is all excited and he says, you know, I'm the only person that Queen Esther invited along with the king to this special banquet. Ooh, 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 I'm so excited. But he said, you know what? I, I don't, my joy is being taken away because every time I see this Jew Mordecai at the gate and he won't bow down to me, it ruins my entire day. It takes all the joy out of my life. I hate this guy. And his wife says to him, hey, Haman, man. Go take a Motrin or something, all right? You need, to, you need to chill out a little bit here. Don't let this guy ruin your life. She said, I got a great suggestion. Go out and build a brand new gallows. Build it 75 feet high if you want to. Build it higher than anything in the city. And after the party's over, go to the king and ask the king for permission to hang Mordecai on him. Mordecai's a schlump. He's a nothing. The king doesn't even know his name. The king will say, sure, hang anybody you want, Haman. I don't care. His wife said, so go enjoy the party. Well, it was early morning. The king hadn't been able to sleep all night. Chapter 6. Is God sovereign? Watch. Verse 1, chapter 6. That night the king could not sleep. God gave him some spiritual no-dos or whatever. 
And he ordered the book of the chronicles of the kingdom brought in so they could read it to him. So he's sitting in bed, unable to sleep, and they're reading him the chronicles of the kingdom, yada, 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 yada. And suddenly they get to the part that tells how Mordecai turned in these two traitors. And so the king says, what have we ever done to honor this guy Mordecai for doing this? And the servants who were reading the book said, well, king, I don't think we ever did anything for him. Well, just then, Haman walks in the door. And the king says, Haman, 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 come here, come here, quick, 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 I've got a question for you. If I really wanted to honor somebody, if I, if I wanted to make, really, really lift somebody up and exalt them, what would I do for them, Haman? The Bible says Haman thought that the king was talking about him. And so he pulls out every fantasy he's ever had in his life and throws it on the king. He says, oh, king, you take your royal robe and you put it on him. You take your royal crown and you put it on him. You put him on the royal horse and you have somebody else lead him through the city proclaiming, this is the king's friend. Everybody honor the king's friend. The king said, that is a fantastic idea, Haman. That is a wonderful idea. I want you to go find this Jew named Mordecai, and I want you to do it for him. And Haman, you lead him through the street, and you proclaim this. Is God sovereign? Hey, friends, you know that Doeg you've got who thinks he's running the world, thinks she's running the world? She's not running the world. He's not running the world. God's got this world totally under control, and they got that Doeg of yours under control too? Believe me, God's still running the universe. Number three, never forget God's eternal law of sowing and reaping. Galatians 6, verse 7, whatever a person sows, that is exactly what they're going to reap. Now, what that basically means is nobody's going to get away with nothing. And, and, and it may look like that doeg of yours is getting away with stuff scot-free, but never forget what Yogi Berra said. Remember what he said? It ain't over till it's over. That's right. And when it's over, God's going to see to it that the law of sowing and reaping applies to your doeg, just like it applies to everybody else in the world. Your doeg's not going to get away with anything. Whatever they sowed... Whatever damage they did, believe me, God says, I promise you, it's coming back around. Did this happen for Haman? Oh, man. Haman had a bad day, but it's about to get worse. Because he goes to the party after this with the him and the queen and the king. And the queen starts off by saying, hey, king, I'm so glad you and Haman are here. I got some real sad news to give you, king. And the king says, well, well what's that, Esther? And she said, I'm going to be dead in a month. And he goes, that's awful. That's awful. Why? And she said, because there's someone in the kingdom who's, despi who's killing all of my people and they're going to kill me too. I'm a Jew and they're out to kill every Jew in the kingdom. Man, if I was Haman, I'd be getting pretty uncomfortable right about now, wouldn't you? He didn't know she was Jewish. She never told anybody till now. And the king said, well, well, who is it? Who would dare raise a finger against my queen? And she said, see him right over here? It's him. And the king went out in the garden to take a little walk to kind of figure out, okay, now i got my prime minister on one side and my queen on the other side. What am I going to do? And in those moments, Haman threw himself at the feet of the queen and began kissing her feet and begging for mercy. And the king comes walking in right at that minute, sees him on the ground grabbing around the, king, the queen's feet and thinks he's trying to sexually assault the queen and says, that's it, I've had it. And look what verse 7, uh, chapter 7, chapter 7, verse 10, the king said, hang him, hang him on it. 
the, the servants of, uh, came, came in and said, hey, there's a gallows 75 feet high that stands out here that, that he just had built to hang Mordecai on. The king said, you mean the Mordecai that saved my life? That guy, he was going to hang him? Uh, yeah, king. The king says, I got a great idea. You take Haman out and hang him on it. So they took Haman out and hanged him on the gallows he built for Mordecai. Hey, does what go around comes around? Huh? Sure it does. God sees to it. And folks, you know that dough egg that you meet up with, that you've got in your office, your neighborhood, your school? Let me tell you something. You don't need to lift one little finger, not one finger, to see to it that they get what they deserve for the things that they're doing to other people. You don't have to get involved in this. By their own actions, they have put into motion God's eternal law of sowing and reaping, and God's going to see to it that whatever they sent out comes back to get them. You don't have to get involved in that. Stay out of it. Fourth principle, and finally, number one, pick your fight carefully. Don't take them on straight up. Number two, remember God is sovereign. These people aren't running the world, God is. Number three, remember God's law of sowing and reaping. It works for everybody, even dough eggs, whatever they sow. They're going to reap it. You don't need to get involved in that. It's going to happen. Principle number four, and finally, learn the joy, learn the blessing that comes from turning people over to God. Learn the blessing that comes and the sweet release that comes from, from stopping to carry that emotional burden yourself and just giving them to God. You see, friends, the Bible tells us that God loves to catch the schemers of the world in their own schemes, in their own traps. He loves to do this. Uh, Psalm 7, verse 15. The person who digs a trap will fall into the pit that he himself makes. Proverbs 26, verse 27. The person who tries to roll a stone on somebody else, God will see to it that very stone rolls back on him. Think about it for a second. You know the Red Sea that Pharaoh plotted to use to drown all of Israel in? It was the very Red Sea that God used to take all of Pharaoh's chariots out of existence. In the very scheme he plotted, God turned right back on his own head. Satan plotted to send Jesus Christ to the cross and get rid of him, and yet God used the death of Jesus on the cross that Satan engineered to break the hold that Satan had on the world by granting forgiveness of sin to the world. God took the scheme of Satan, turned it right back on his own head. Hitler in World War II plotted and schemed and, and, you know, against the Russians, and the very treachery that he carried out against the Russians is what caused him to lose the war. God turned it right back on his own head. And how about our friend old Haman here? I love what it says in chapter 9. Look with me, verse 25. Chapter 9, verse 25. It says, but when the plot, Haman's plot, came to the king's attention, he issued written orders that the evil scheme Haman had devised against the Jews should come back on Haman's own head. God loves to do this. And what this means is, you don't have to carry the burden of these people. You can just turn them over to God. God will take care of everything that needs to be taken care of. You know, when I was in, in college... I was uh, a sophomore in college, I was, I was in shape, and I was spelt, and I looked good, and, and anyway, I was involved in judo, and I earned a number of belts in judo, and you say, really, Lon, we've, we've never seen you wear those. Well, the truth is, I can't get them around my waist anymore, but, um, 
But I did earn them. And you know how judo works, don't you? The, 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 the magic of judo is you don't provide any momentum at all yourself to throw your opponent. You let your opponent provide their own momentum. If they're leaning forward, you throw them forward. If they're leaning backwards, you throw them backwards. If they're leaning sideways, you throw them sideways. Wherever they're providing the momentum, you take advantage of it and throw them that way. Why should you knock yourself out and waste your energy coming up with momentum and, and kind of going, throw them? You have to do that. They'll provide their own momentum. Just take advantage of it and flip them. And I got to thinking, you know, when it comes to that, God is the ultimate black belt in the universe. Think about that now. He lets people scheme and plot and connive to provide all kinds of things for themselves. And then God takes them and goes, pop, and flips them using their own momentum. It's what he did with Pharaoh. It's what he did with Haman. It's what he did with Hitler. It's what he did with Satan. And it's what he'll do with the Doeg, you know. Now, God may not do this as quickly as you'd like. But God will do it much more thoroughly than you could ever do it. And you'd be wise just to let God do it His way. God will do it better than you can do it. And my Christian friend, what God wants you to do is to learn the joy and experience the freedom and the release that comes from turning these people over to God and letting God deal with them. So many times these people imprison us. We waste all this emotional energy worrying about them. We waste all of this emotional effort of being concerned about what they're getting away with and whether they're going to get their due. And every time we hear their name or every time we see them, you know, they become, we just get all involved. Don't do that to yourself. Why should you do that? Learn the joy of just turning these people over to God. And you go about your business. And you go on living for God and don't worry about them. Don't, you know, don't, don't, don't even lose a minute's sleep. God's going to take care of these people. And I have learned in almost 18 years of being a pastor and almost 25, 26 of being a Christian to just turn people over to God. Turn people over to God. He's sovereign. He's running the universe. The law of sowing and reaping applies. Why should I carry the emotional burden and exhaust myself and put myself in prison to these people? I shouldn't. Just give them to God. God will take care of them. My job is just to live for God, not to worry about these people. And friends, God wants you to experience that same joy in dealing with the dough eggs in your life. Let's review our four principles. Number one, don't be lured into fighting a skunk on its own terms. Don't do that. Number two, remember God is running the universe, not these people. Number three, never forget that what people sow, that is what they will reap. God is personally committed to seeing to that. You don't have to worry about it. And number four and finally, learn the joy of just turning people over to God. Saying, God, I'm not dealing with this person. They're yours. There's great release that comes from that, friends. And you know, I can't help but believe that we've got some folks here that... We know some of these dough eggs in our office place, in our neighborhood, in our families, in our school. And uh, many of us are in prison to these people. We spend so much of our time and energy worrying about these people and whether they're going to get their own and how to outflank them and, and being deeply concerned about the damage they do to other people. You know what? Turn loose of them. You need to turn loose of them and get free of these people. Because they'll never escape God and God will handle them. Turn them loose. And let's give yourself a Thanksgiving present, which is freedom from these people. Let's bow together. If you've got a dough egg in your life that you need today to turn over to God,
Take your hands off of them and keep your hands off of them. I want to give you just a moment to do that. As Christians, it really bothers us when we see people treating other people unrighteously, when we see people damaging other people, destroying other people, lying and betraying other people, just to advance themselves. And we want to get emotionally involved in that, and we want to, we want to see these people get what's coming to them. And many, many times the result is we end up getting sucked into a situation where we become emotional prisoners of these people. And I want to pray today that you would take what we've talked about from the Bible and you might enable us to become free. Because we know some things. Because we know God is sovereign. And that you have these people completely under control. Because we know that the law of sowing and reaping will work for them and we don't have to lift a finger to help it. And because we know that you don't want us taking the responsibility for these people. You want us turning them over to you. They're your responsibility. So Lord, help us do that. Help us live in a way that people will never feel that we're one of these dough eggs as Christians. And when we meet one of these folks, Lord... Help us just to smile and with peace in our hearts say, hey, you belong to God. And we can leave it right there. Thank you that you are a just God. Thank you that what people sow, they reap. What goes around, comes around. And Lord Jesus, thank you that we can depend upon you that justice will be served in this universe. And you will do a far better job than we. So help us rest with that, Lord. And free us today that we might live with the kind of joy you want us to as your children. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.